Hooray, hurrah! Once again, the smartest man in the world, Proopcast, takes to the ether, this time from the salubrious confines of the Fortress of Proopitude, located right down the block. Hey, hipsters, flipsters, and finger-popping groove chickens. You can't pop your finger if you're a groove chicken, Greg. You've never popped a chicken finger the way I pop a chicken finger. What are they called? Beef fingers. I had them in Wisconsin. They were on the menu. I was with Jeff and Ryan and Joel, and we were drinking, and on the menu was beef fingers. No. Yes, and Jeff goes, what about the beef fingers? And I went, what are beef fingers? And then it's never stopped since then. Like when Eddie Murray ordered pork wings. Pork wings, and we also do ourselves. <laughs> in Kansas uh, City. <laughs> what part of the pig is the wing part? Uh, hooray, hurrah, I'm back. It's me, Greg Proops, your old pal, and your old pal, Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. Here, turn that down a little bit. I want to hear you. Um, tell me why we're playing the band. We are celebrating Robbie Robertson. Right. Who I was I wasn't prepared for him leaving. No. Um, and that leaves uh, Garth Hudson as the last member of the band. Um, or, Kittens. Or as my friend Andrea used to insist, the band. The band. Um, this is Stage Fright from the live album with Dylan called Before the Flood, which is a really good album. And their a contribution to it, they do, uh, I think, five songs on the album, um, are outstanding. You mean of their own before, and yes. then they do a bunch of Dylan songs. Yeah. So is this the one from uh, Rolling Thunder? No. This is, uh, they did a tour, uh, this is the beginning of 1974. And, okay. And uh, there's this, uh, this is from the album Stage Fright. Um, then the next year, I think they came out with uh, Northern Lights, Southern Cross. Oh, all right. So, which was the first band album I bought? Uh, I think their greatest uh, album is the band, and uh, you know they're just uh, such an interesting period of uh, in the midst of psychedelia out comes a, a band that's mostly Canadian who has this phenomenal uh, guitarist of Mohawk uh, background. Robbie. Yes, who found out... Is uh, his name really Robbie Robertson? Yes. Can you imagine? <laughs> Greggy Gregerson? I love it. He, he found out... Uh, Good-looking guy. Growing up, the, the, the guy he thought was his dad wasn't his dad. Really? And that his mother's an Indian. Ha, yes. First Nations, rather. Yeah, First Nations. And uh, his real father was Jewish. Really? Yeah. So Jewish in the tribes. Right. Many tribes. Many tribes. A lot of ancient tribes. No wonder he was so good-looking. He had great cheekbones and yeah, dark hair. There, there was a difficult late 60s rabbinical look. Yeah, yeah. Well, he wore glasses and sort of a seminary student kind of... How did they How did they all uh, find each other? They they uh, not only shared a house in Woodstock right. at one point, and they were so considered just, you know, the epicenter of cool that they drew uh, everyone there. Uh, George Harrison, Eric Clapton, Van Morrison... Uh, Dylan was living there. Um, it became uh, where anyone that was interested in their sound wanted to be, of course. How? George Harrison had the band on his... Uh, he had his uh, the band on a, a, a jukebox. Right, and in his, his crib. Home. He was obsessed did with Did he them. ask to join them, or was it Clapton that asked to join them? Several people did, and... 
uh, I mean, they were a, a pretty rambunctious group of dudes. There, there was a, a How really, old was Robbie, though, really? He was young. He, he was, was underage. He was a teen when they started. Yeah, he wasn't he and, 21. He and Rick Danko were the same age, I think. 17, 18? Uh, if, I, think, I think. If. Younger. Um, and uh, the only American member, Levon Helm, of course, uh Robbie went on from from the really kind of harsh world the band was living in touring with Ronnie Hawkins to become uh the composer of many soundtracks of course including oh, yeah. the Scorsese film that just came out Absolutely and a giant supporter of First Nations music and did many albums where he mixed First Nations music together Yeah you got to meet him I did. Um, play another jam, and then I'm going to tell that <clears throat> uh, meeting Robbie Robertson story because yeah, he was really good looking. It was on the um, here. No, oh, he was. You want to play that one? Or? Yeah, I was going to play this one. Yes, Ben. Um, he he was uh, so good looking <clears throat> that really he was uh, the star of the film uh, by Scorsese, The Last Waltz. Um, but that one wasn't from the last waltz, just to no. distinguish. Uh, I'm going to play the version of It Makes No Difference, which is from uh, the 1975 album um, that they did, The Last Waltz. They're so, they're so just inspired in that concert film. Uh, and they back so many different people, uh, lifting them up. I mean, they, they elevated Dylan. Um, they're wonderful behind Joni Mitchell doing Coyote. That's my favorite version. Um, and it's it's uh, it's sad. If I want to uh, really uh, the the band is get good, morose, right? I put that on um, the the band is uh, as especially Richard Manuel songs uh, are really good at. Uh, bringing it to a hymnal level. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, I shall be released with Dylan. <laughs> so when did Dylan ask them to join him? And that is that's why they became... Uh, well, in the 60s. So huge. I mean, I don't know when to say they're so huge. They're like a band's band. It's like everybody yes. that listened to the yes. band um, made another band. They, they, they uh, Americana, but also like they do... Basically everything but jazz, you know, and even that they're kind of jazzy. Uh, they do the blues, they do rock, they do folk, they do country, they do hymn, they do old fashioned. They do music that mm -hmm. sounds like it was. What did Robbie say? I want to write music that sounds like yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Or tomorrow, he, oh, I don't remember the order he put it, but he right. didn't want to make music. Okay, the first album's what sixty nine. Uh, 68 somewhere the big music from the big pink and then the second album is the band so this is rolling stones uh, uh, their Be house Beatles. the house they lived in was famous Jimi hendrix i'm talking about who's popular then right, janice and Shoplin. then somehow they come uh, they arrive and they're they're dressed like they're from the 19th century yeah that's what i mean this is it's aretha franklin the temptations everything that's going on in 1969 is crazy it's such an insanely good then of course, Sugar Sugar is the number one song. But the, it's an amazing year. There's a million artists going, and the band doesn't sound like any of them. Yeah, no. that's on the radio. They're not pop. No, but it, it's it, that extension of that East Coast folk scene. And Dylan, Why, where did they come up with it out and of Dylan, Canada? Dylan was was so huge. 
Well, because Ronnie Hawkins is a rock and there's, roll. There's a Joni Mitchell's from Canada. I mean, there's Neil Young's from Canada. Sure, Rick James. Well, <laughs> Rochester, but he hung out with a lot of people say, in isn't Canada. He from Buffalo, no? Uh, Buffalo, but he hung out a lot in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> Spin this one, and then I'll tell my Robbie Robertson story because I, I there. You made me a fan. They're a fascinating band, and Robbie Robertson was, I always guess, credited with being sort of the, diff, not like ad hoc leader. I don't think they had a leader, but like he was the one who sort of it seemed like organized. Well, he was. He was. Uh, he evolved into that because he was. He was the young uh, guitar player who would go in the closet and practice into what he became i mean you can see in in the i was going to say the in the movie the last waltz where um levi mahelm wrote a book about the band <laughs> yes he did pretty he doesn't like robbie much pretty, in it pretty wild it's uh, it covers it's a, a harrowing look at, yeah. at their lives um but in it there's a couple of uh real uh snorkers and one one is one is he goes to see the a screening of the last waltz with ronnie hawkins and ronnie yeah. hawkins turns to him and uh, snarkily says it'd be a good picture if there were more shots of robbie yeah and we've been saying that ever since we read right. the book if you've ever seen uh, uh, the last waltz it's a it's a, a very good picture of, uh, of the band's last concert and they have all these famous stars come in with them Joni mitchell and van morrison whatnot and if you watch that movie, it's like Robbie is the band. Almost every <laughs> shot of them. They never show the piano player. They never show the organ player. No, Richard they Manuel show, disappears. Yeah, they Garth, show, you can see his hair right. flying when he plays the organ. They show Levon when he sings, and they show Ricky kind of because he's standing next to Robbie. Right. And there's close-ups of Robbie doing there's, other there's people's two, solos and yeah, stuff. It's, yes. it's, it's like Martin Scorsese and him <laughs> fell in love during yeah, the movie. Yeah. And they were best, best, best drug buddies. And No, he, and also he's he's... He's come into his own. He's super confident. Uh-huh. He looks great. Right. And uh, he's leading all the interviews. Yeah. Yeah, he is. It's a good movie. Uh, but yeah, he's in it a lot. It'd be a good movie if there's more shots of Robbie. <laughs> uh, yeah, they're all pretty awesome in their own way. Here, spin this one and, and turn it up, dude.
unmistakable sound of Robbie Robertson's guitar. And the way that scene is shot by Scorsese, they're, you know, he's in love with both of them. There's such a cute duo. Right, there. they're just singing this soulful song together, head to head. And, and what a beautiful song written by Robbie Robertson. Well, it is a beautiful song. Super sad. Yeah. And I love there's uh, his his attack on the guitar and the kind of decay sound that he does. Yeah, super the, crispy here. Fades away. Turn it up here. This part's where he plays the guitar. Isn't it? Oh, coming out. Oh, it's at the end. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about the beat and the yeah. organ trills and the yeah. um, they right. anticipate 500 groups everybody from did anyone else have an organist no, and a pianist it's, it's, on stage it's, it's my morning jacket and Jerry Jeff Walker and, and, and well, you know 100 there's, there's one clue here I came across an article about uh, a tribute to Alan Toussaint, and they interviewed uh, Robbie Robertson. Uh-huh. And he said that the Lee Dorsey album, that the band would play that over and over and over. And <laughs> he said that uh, Alan Toussaint, uh, that he worshipped him as a songwriter, arranger, producer, and recording artist himself. Nobody could quite understand how he did what he did. Um, he mentions the Ernie K. Doe song. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mother-in-law. Right. And so he was a fan from early 60s. And uh, he said what really brought Alan Toussaint to my attention was the ama- through the amazing voice of Lee Dorsey. And he got, uh, he said that Toussaint's producing technique was a complete style, a flavor of songwriting. I could tell from the musical distance that somebody really knew what they were doing. And so he brought uh, Alan Toussaint to New York and Alan Toussaint uh, gave the horn section. He, he was going to arrange the horn section on Life is a Carnival. And the New York jazz session players uh, took a look at it and went, what is this? This is because he did a call and response New Orleans sound. Uh-huh. And uh, he, Robbie Robertson said up to that point, uh, Alan Toussaint was kind of a mystery to him. And then he saw that Alan Toussaint was not brooking any yeah. discussion about how that was going to yeah, go. How they were going to play it. And uh Robbie Robertson says the horn guys looked at one another like, okay, we got some attitude going on here. Wow. It was a different kind of playing than they were used to. Uh, a very New Orleans, slightly back to the tradition of New Orleans jazz, where people would improvise. Uh-huh. Um, and I thought that was beautiful that, uh, that there were these deep fans of a New Orleans sound and you can hear that kind of mm-hmm. when we were in New Orleans that time we heard a calliope on the street right. you know and you said in that the in, in uh, Life is a Carnival it sounds like a calliope yes very much so No, I, and Alan Toussaint is a really illustrative uh, uh, person to use because he's hard to pin down he's eclectic and he also does jazz funk 
rhythm and blues, right. rock and roll, blah, 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 the whole bag. And he plays on a million records, and he made a million records, and he wrote a million records, including songs that were like country hits. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's got that kind of... What's, I think, difficult for pop music and for music writers and for the, you know, to PR people is when people are eclectic, it's kind of hard to pin them down on, like, what it is you're supposed to be digging and you have to listen to it a little. And uh, in the era that they come from, the 60s and 70s, that's not how records are sold. I mean, yeah, there was. There are plenty of intellectual acts, but, I mean, they're in the same market as... They had hits. They, like, you know... The band was always, uh, they were uh, fans of what they wanted to be fans of. Right. They, they weren't uh, looking to appease their no, record company. There's no psychedelia. I mean, they're talking about uh, Bessie Smith and, right. and, and Muddy Waters. And as uh, Levon Helm says in the movie, um, you're talking about Doc Pomus. Why don't we get Doc Pomus? <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, how beautiful. They're trying to bring it all together, the, right. the history of the music. And that's why I thought it was awesome that, that he had, uh, that Robbie Robertson had thought of bringing Alan Toussaint. Really, really awesome. So I was in Canada on the George Strombo show, just an afternoon chat show. My Canadian friends and friends, mostly. Uh, well, I know there's a lot of you fanatics up there. <laughs> uh, the Can fans, we call them. And the Fan Can Fan, uh, the um, Can Fran up there. Um, I was doing Strombo Show, and it's uh, on that main drag in Toronto. And on the day I got to go in, and I can't even remember what I was plugging now because I was so overwhelmed when I got in there. Uh, there's Robbie Robertson. He's on the show, too. And I'm like, <laughs> what? So I know how much Jennifer loves him. I'm a fan. He looks the same, except. Now he's wearing spectacles like a professor. And he was there to sell a photography book, not one of his albums, strangely, even though he made, like I said, not only he did solo albums and stuff, he, of course he... wouldn't he, stop. No, he was, he was prolific and he matured <clears throat> into the role of uh, composer, producer, uh, scorer, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, it, the whole being a rock star thing was not what was happening for... And, uh, of course, he looked great. And he still talked the same. Robbie Robertson had kind of a <laughs> haspy. Even when he was young, in, in the Lats Waltz, there's a bottom to his voice. <laughs> <clears throat> He's probably the uh, not best singer out of all five of them. <laughs> all five of them, are, I don't know if Garth ever sings, but certainly the other three sing. Yeah. And they are all, they all take the lead on songs, and Robbie never sings the lead on any of them. No. On his solo albums, he does, but... Then you're like, oh, you're the, your voice is not the one that's making the band. Uh, in any case, in the movie, part of the reason they're breaking up in the movie, and it's the last concert they do, is he's tired of being on the road. Well, unbeknownst to the other members of the band, according to Levon Helm's book, where he was like, we all <laughs> like being on the road. We were making money. We were staying in nice cribs. We are playing. By then, they're playing prestige gigs, and, you know, they're not playing bars they're playing concerts and festivals and all the big gigs you could play in the 70s and uh robbie decided that was it we're coming off the road that's over and we're gonna do our own thing and or i guess i don't know he said everyone it decided. might have been a little hard going hanging out with them at a well, certain point they're a wild bunch i mean they're as druggy and crazy as it gets and uh also uh, i don't mean like motley crew i mean they're <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, a little more intellectual and uh, perhaps uh, in any case uh, the uh, in this in the movie there's just a long discussion over like what's going on with they don't really discuss why they're breaking up as much as around it and he goes uh, it's a goddamn impossible way of life you're uh, you know the road which is true the road takes the greats and then <laughs> in a, in order to illustrate his point that the road takes the greats you feel that he might say because it's 1975 Jim Croce uh, there's a bunch of people actually right around then mm-hmm. uh, and he goes uh, Buddy Holly and it's like wait what? a minute Buddy Holly was that was 1959 <laughs> and the road didn't take him he got in a faulty plane uh, which hey, happened to a million people hey you're quibbling so then he says someone else so he said the road take the grid so Jennifer and I have been saying it to we've each other we've been saying it constantly because we saw Bob Dylan last years. year he was 81 when and we, we saw always him. say oh the road takes the grid right. so we're going to see Buddy Guy tomorrow yes. and he's, he's 87 87 and he is on tour and supposed to be the loudest act you'll ever see. Yeah. Uh, we saw Lee Reed in his 70s. Dylan in his 70s and 80s. I mean, you know. John Cale. John Tony, Cale. We saw uh, Herbie Hancock a couple weeks He's ago. He's 80 something. And he brought out Carter. Joni Mitchell. And Joni? She is back and she sang Circle Game. Yeah. And she was she wore a super, super cute hipster outfit with a beret. Excuse me. That was a really hip show. At the Hollywood Jack Bowl. DeJeanette. How old is Jack DeJeanette? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ron Carter was on base. And now I feel like I mean, we're dwelling too much on oh, age. And it's, right. it's, it's, that was, I started it. No, but I mean, it's exciting. They they were awesome. Yeah, they it were. Was, it was a really, uh, it was a lovely tribute to Wayne Shorter. I guess one of the things is, my points is, I've never seen anyone that was what we would call old in society um, suck because they were old. And I, I mean that like completely conditionally, like people go, well, oh my God, I don't want to go see them. They're a thousand or whatever. It's like, um, a lot of times people have been practicing their whole life and they're quite good mm-hmm. and whatever they're not hitting and, uh, or stepping in. Uh, like for instance, Jesus Christ, we saw Boz Skaggs like two or three years ago mm-hmm. and he's in his seventies and he could sing in the same key oh, yeah. and, and yes, he plays he guitar like the very devil. Yeah. And I was like, um, this is awesome. And the whole crowd was going bananas singing along to all the yep. hits. Yes, yep. they were. Everyone sang um, Lido and whoa, whoa, whoa. Like it was... <laughs> Jennifer had never been to a Yacht Rock concert, so it was great. <laughs> Even though he's very bluesy. he's. I would say if yeah. you asked yeah. Bob Skaggs, he would not say that he's... The urbane. Um, he had Willie Weeks on bass. Yeah, he, right. And, super, uh, super bluesy rock and roll. Uh, Charlie Sexton. Charlie Sexton, on Dylan's guitar. guitarist on, I mean, on guitar. Yeah, it's like it he, was. Pretty, no, his band was pretty oh, gaudy, gaudy. And I can't remember where the keyboard player was from, but he played with everybody too. Um, I don't think he would say that the uh, the urbane uptown, uh, uh, quiet storm awesome funk disco part of his career is really strong and obviously is a gigantic but he right. is a blues artist too like he plays the blues he did a couple Willie songs on that album a few years ago right Willie uh, DeVille sorry uh, getting back to Robbie Robertson oh, yeah. I think that what was I so hilarious <laughs> right but what was so hilarious of saying the road takes the great yeah. they were young then yes and he it was yeah, so obvious something. like hey you guys get you know do whatever you're doing i'm gonna stay in la and hang out with scorsese yeah i got a movie to make yeah I've got i was just in a movie where do. i'm in all the shots and you guys aren't 
Right. I'm wearing a scarf and I look great. Yeah. I was in a comedy duo and we would call each other up and go, I'm famous. We're both famous, but mostly me. That was our (laughs) big joke with each other. We're famous, but mostly me. Yeah. Saying the road takes the greats, it's it's, uh, just a tad disingenuous. In the show, not only is there Eric Clapton and Neil Young and all that jazz, Muddy Waters comes out and he's not young in it. Muddy Waters is probably in his 60s in the movie. And it's like, the road did not take Muddy Waters. He had to go through <laughs> the roughest time yeah. you could go through as an artist. And it did not take him. Buddy Guy, as you say. We're going to see Buddy Guy. Well, it, <laughs> he was in B.B. King's... It overlooks uh, the obvious in that performers usually enjoy performing. Yeah, we'll ham it up. And um, so he says uh, in the movie... Very seriously turns to the camera and he's gorgeous with a cigarette and he goes, the road takes a goddamn impossible way of life. The road takes the grapes, Buddy Holly, Barney, Barney Rubble. And you're like, what? And then <clears throat> they play a number. So I'm back in the green room at Strombo's and I forget who introduced us, a third party. It wasn't Strombo. And um, hey, Robbie, hi, Greg, Greg, Robbie, Robbie, thank you, nice to hi, good to meet you. Um, I said, I'm an enormous fan, blah, blah, blah. I go, uh, my wife's a fan. I wonder, might you sign this for her, which he did. And he signed an autograph. What, what's her name? Jennifer. Yeah. And then, so <clears throat> he couldn't have been nicer. He was kindness itself. And then I was required to leave. And he said, well, what are you doing? And I said, I'm out there, you know, with my group and we're on the road. And, he, and then he looked at me and I said, <laughs> the road takes the greats. <laughs> and there was a beat. And he <laughs> gathered what I had said to him. And he went, looked over his glasses at me and went, be careful out there. <laughs> so I was a dick. <laughs> I wasn't doing it with he harshness. He was polite to you, wasn't he, Greg? And yet you turned on him. I had to, Jennifer. You and I had said it to each other so many times that it was like the great end joke of our... And then I actually got to meet <laughs> your hero, Robbie Robertson. And he was, and he signed an autograph for you, everything. And it was horrible that I did that. But it was really funny. And he, did, he wasn't angry, but he registered what I said. And... Uh, By the way, my, my As friend, if he hasn't had enough bullshit for breaking up... <laughs> Right? The, the band oh, or whatever. the most contentious. Oh, my yeah, God. Group like, of he people. spent the rest of his Levon life. Levon Helm didn't want to see him in the hospital. No. And, and uh, Donald Fagan, of all people, tried to, to intercede. That's because Levon was married to... Uh, uh, Libby Titus. Libby Titus. And Donald Fagan is now currently married to Libby Titus. So they were holding watch at his hospital bed. And, the, yeah, that was... And Levon, no, no, Levon never oh, really. That's a feisty group. <clears throat> Robbie's claimed that Levon and him were, you know, talking or whatever. So I'm, you know, probably because uh, was David talking to was David Crosby talking to Graham Nash when they when he passed? I, mean, I don't the, think he was after the fist fight years. Yeah, um, my friend Andrea uh, and I went in elementary school would listen to the band. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember... May I uh, just interject and say that uh, a lot of us in elementary school were listening to, like, bubblegum. If you're a generation later than me, then maybe it was, like, uh, hip-hop or maybe uh, new kids on the block. 
or something. And then if it's after that, it might be take that. And then if it's after that, it might be One Direction or K-pop or any of the million. Yeah. And you were listening to the intellectual. Virgil Kane is the name. And I served on the Danville train. We were a bit contrarian, I suppose. Why would you care about the Civil War when you were in uh, 11? <laughs> well, we, we were living in the suburb of D.C. Oh, fair enough. So, so the Civil War's all around you. Yes. Wow. So go on. You and your friend Andrea. No, I was going to gonna say we would special order albums. Oh, really? Yeah. And, you know, if... it if we, You little hipsters. Right. We, we were hip uh, in, in... So what was school. it? Dylan, the band, mm-hmm. Joni... Joni Mitchell, to be sure. Lou Reed. Lou Reed, John Cale, you know. Do we cover Dylan? Dylan. Yes, Dylan and Dylan. And Dylan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, in The Last Waltz, you guys, if you haven't seen it, Dylan's a huge tool in it, and it's just oh awesome. God. He apparently was was uh, totally obnoxious on the night and, and refused to sign off on uh, letting them film his, his set. As well as doing his usual, uh, I don't think he let the band know what he was going to play. <laughs> He's also wearing the most extraordinary oh, no. peach fedora. It's an unfortunate yeah. uh, look. That I assembled. love the Rolling Thunder giant um, wampum or whatever it is hat with the hat band and the feather the and the sweaty, white face. Sweaty and he makeup. Seems like he's dying of drugs and I and he's screaming all the lyrics. And she said, yes. And so, oh, sorry. 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 Ladies oh, and gentlemen, there's been an emergency he here really did at, the, at the fortress. I apologize <laughs> uh, for the show having to stop the way it is, but we have to call a, we have to go to an urgent care. Um, there's a roving ear clinic here in Hollywood called Urgent What? And they are going to come by now because I really got loud there. Whoa. I should have faced the other way. I'm. That would have been nice. I'm an enthusiast. Earlier you were singing karaoke to ACDC, and I think you kind of were warming up your your vocals on that. For being so screechy as humanly <laughs> possible. Well, uh, Robbie Robertson was a lovely uh, musician who I think really tried to dignify um, First Nations people and uh, uplift their music and put it into another context that made it... Uh, that gave it a, a different texture, artier and more studio. Very much so. But but certainly recognizing all of it the whole time and never giving up on um, his family being uh, First Nations, which is, I think, an extraordinary thing for an artist that had a, as much success. He, like you said, he just did the picture, and I don't know the name of it because I don't have it in front of me, but it's a picture about American Indians mm-hmm. that Scorsese just made. Something Moon... Based uh, on a true story. Yeah. Flower and, Moon. You know, everybody wants to see it, and we want to see it because uh, it looks really wild. And also, thank God Scorsese got off Italian guys for two seconds and gangsters. and, <laughs> and Although ugly, Leonardo is still in Killers it. of the Flower Moon. Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, but you know, I, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for Scorsese Don't to yell do. Again. I'm sorry. I'm ready for Scorsese <laughs> to do uh, a picture about something else besides New York. Yes. Um, I mean, not. I'm not saying <clears throat> Boxcar Bertha wasn't one of his. <laughs> yeah, it just took you deep. Oh wow. Um, the Greg Proofs Film Club is going. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. We're going to start soon. Robbie Robertson is uh, uh, everything that American music needed to be. And I think gave uh, a real honest try, you know. 
I don't think he was goofing around. And I think the band is a, a superb unit, but also, like you say, in the movie The Last Waltz, which comes across the most is they're great into when they play, but when they're playing with other people, they make them sound better, mm-hmm. which is astonishing to not be their backup band, but to sound so good that you're everybody's well, backup band. Well, how about the version of The Wait when Mavis Staples is singing it with her family? The Staples singers had an awesome hit with it, and bringing them in, at, the only disappointment in the movie is that they're not live in the movie, but right. they're live on film. And I will argue this till the end of time. I love at the end when when she just uh, murmurs, "Beautiful." Yeah, take a load off. Yeah, the ver- the, the version with the Staples singers is awesome. Any filmmaker who puts those acts on film, like I'm not a huge Blues Brothers person. The Blues Brothers movie has Ray Charles, James Brown, Aretha Franklin, and Cab Calloway doing live performances, hmm. and, and John Lee Hooker. Hmm. So it, it, I don't care about anything else in the movie. It's like a '50s rock and roll movie. The numbers in it with them. It's so important that they got to look good and be in a big Technicolor movie and yes. do a big number. And it's so great that the Staples are included in this big rock elegy because Muddy Waters is there and Jenny Mitch is there. And then they bring in Emmy Lou Harris and like Neil Young and da, 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 Dylan. I mean, Jesus Christ. There's a Beatle, as you point out. Ringo's in it. Ron Wood's in it. There's a Beatle of Stone. Is there a Beach Boy too? I think there's a Beach Boy in there somewhere. There, everybody. <laughs> there's somewhere. Oh, all the blues. What's his name? Nick, buddy. I'm forgetting his name. Uh, the white guy. Right. Mike Blimfield. Mark Blimfield. I was going to say Nick Gravenides. Um Robbie Robertson's an irreplaceable part of American life. Uh, the Greg Poops Film Club is on the air. We just showed The 39 Steps um, by Hitchcock. And the month before that, Jennifer picked these two pictures in there. Super hip. We had a lot of people at Chloe 5 to 7, oh, which is a picture from wasn't, 60 wasn't that Kennedy nice? era. It, it was uh, one of Anya Varda's first films. and Tell us who Anya Varda is, Anya Varda. Anya Varda was uh, a, almost a, a precursor. Her first film is, is uh, sort of leads the way for the new wave. Right, she invents cinema. all that, right? Truffaut and... And in... Uh, Cleo of uh, five to seven, she has uh, Jean Luc Godard in an excruciating sequence. Really, <laughs> it's the only part of the movie that doesn't work. <laughs> but I mean, she was already. That's what her group of people was. It's such. It's such a, a an astounding film, uh, showing a woman going about her early evening, having these uh, experiences. Uh, with the city, with the peop- with friends and strangers, and it doesn't go in the direction you think it's going. I She's mean, waiting for the results for her cancer test. Right. And and that sounds like, oh, my God. But no, it, she's she's got this um, fairy tale-like studio apartment with a swing, and at every time... The, right, the camera turns around, There's there are more kittens. Yeah. There's kittens in the bed, there's <clears throat> kittens on the floor, there's... Uh, she, she has a swing in her she, apartment. She does a, a approximately swing. five seconds of exercise yeah, and yeah. then lights a cigarette. Yeah. Uh, she goes to see her friend who's a nude model. She sees, you know, a mime performance. She she meets a soldier in, in a garden. She's a pop star. Uh, the songwriters right. come over and try to pitch her a song. She actually has hit and, records and, and the, stuff. The uh, pianist is Michelle Legrand. Right. It has top heavy with French heavies from then. And then, uh, uh, wow. Um, 
And then 39 steps. I mean, it just seems like, I mean, talk about the mood of the moment. Uh, treachery, skullduggery. The, there's a, uh, the villain is uh, described at the beginning as, as a man who, who can take on all these different personas. Yeah. Uh, the murderous villain. It's, uh, it really holds up and it's also funny. Really funny. Like all uh, Hitchcock, what makes Hitchcock so awesome, and of course I make this point in the show so brilliantly, is uh, that, uh, and modestly, with great humility, that uh, (laughs) he's always funny. Pace, 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 joke, joke, joke. Let's keep this going. People die. People get shot at. There's always danger. There's always excitement. There's always the idea there might be sex between hot people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't... And uh, hot strangers. A lot of... This one... 39 Steps anticipates uh, North by Northwest in a great many mm-hmm. plot points mm-hmm. and sexy, sexy interaction. And it's not as t- And grand. somehow uh, there's two different, uh, two different people in two different parts of the UK somehow have uh, whole fishes in their refrigerator. Right? There's so- snacks there's, there's served at two big points in the movie where they have to eat. <laughs> he brings hey, a girl home and like they have... like Right. After the big shooting, they're hungry. And so he goes, you want something to eat? And she, really, she goes, oh my God, I haven't eaten in two days or something. And he goes, I've got some haddock. And he <laughs> takes out a whole fish. Without taking his coat <clears throat> off. No, he doesn't take his overcoat He's, off. Well, while they're under uh, threat... Oh, no, there's violence. assassins outside, yeah. They're going to be cooking up some haddock. Oh, he fries up it up in the pan, and they eat it. <laughs> it's great. It's really good. Um, 39 Steps. Uh, Chloe Fighter 7 was an inspired pick, I think, because... Well, I've been a- trying to show it for ages. Oh, yeah. And what was funny to me was that uh, there was not a seat left. Uh, that was really nice to no, see that people was cool- really deeply in, in into it and enjoying it. We showed it in the summer. It seems like it'd be, uh, it's not an existential rumination on mortality, even though she's waiting to hear whether she has cancer or not. It's way more of uh, Well, I think that that's one of Anya Zabarta's strong suits is that she she can uh, take serious material and, and make it seem light. So yeah. that you, you kind of, there are certain scenes in it that are, are pretty heavy and, and it you have to kind of, uh, think about that on uh, your own rate because she doesn't really for it doesn't it's not forced. It's, she's it's not melodramatic, right? It's part of the fabric of the woman's life, yeah, yeah. and she's making that point that that there's if if you're this engaged person in the world that it can be a much more uh, a rich, intricate, complicated situation that's not just focused on her medical scenario. Even though she's a seemingly shallow. Uh, what we would rate as shallow because she's blonde, great looking, has an awesome wardrobe of kicking apartment in Paris. It has an assistant. She's in demand. Um, she's not quite a star yet. She's like had some hit Although records. Although it is kind of hilarious how the the woman that's that's uh, working with her is not entirely supportive of oh, her. Oh, no, no. She's already got <laughs> attitude at her. And so it actually shows kind of... It's it's really clever, um, but it, it got written up uh, not our version, but it had been in the um, the air and and other places were showing it all around the world. I noticed at different places, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was getting written up again in different. It's nice to see publications and film, and I think it was just 
It's being, You've been trying to show up for six months easily. It's, but, it's being seriously considered instead of just, you know, yeah. tossed and, aside. And Yasvarda passed and Godard uh, passed finally. And, uh, uh, finally. And uh, um, Anna Karina. But I mean, she she's getting a reassessment now. And I think that picture, she makes so many different kinds of pictures, but that picture is really cool. Right. And there's also uh, La Pointe Court. Right, uh, which is is really interesting because she sets she used people who were living <clears throat> in dire poverty as as part of the act action. Oh yeah, and uh, that's a Philippe Noiré. It might be his first film. Right, when he's a tiny little Philippe Noiré. And Noray. then the woman lead. It's from '55, and so I mean, talk about a forerunner of of the new wave. The woman lead is a resistance hero. Right, in real life. And, and so awesome. in 39 Steps, Madeline Carroll was a, a hero in World War II. She owned a house in France. She gave it up to be an orphanage before the Americans joined the war in 1940, after the Germans invaded France. So there was an orphanage there. She also was head of the Red Cross outreach in America for two or three years during the war. She raised loads of money for the war. And she personally saw to the welfare uh and raise money for the kids in an orphanage. So she, her main goal was to look after children during the war, which I think is extraordinary oh, because she, more than any other star in a lot of ways, really did it. Um, Eisenhower said she was the greatest star he, he met during right? the war. That he, and I assume that meant because she was the most involved. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of involved, I'm self-involved. And here's one of my <laughs> albums. Uh, I have a new record out called French Drug Deal. And uh, it just came out. You can get it on my website. There's also, you can get it on Spotify. You can get it on a special thing records, Ryan and Matt's label, um, home to Grammy winning artists and, uh, and award seeking artists. And I, I fall into the award seeking artist camp. Not only do I fall into it, I absolutely go burning man into it. And I, I was in the uh, award seeking artist and it it began to pour failure drops until I was consumed in it, and then an Ebola outbreak kept me from. That's why Chris Rock got away. I I ended up uh, I didn't get a Netflix uh, deal, but I got a Vimeo deal where I put my own videos up, <laughs> and then I pay myself if I watch them. Uh, it's called French Drug Deal, and it's I think the greatest comedy album of the last <laughs> forty years. Uh, easily, I have more to say than most people. I'm funnier. I'm cuter. Right. And uh, uh, it's just here. Let's just hear some of it. It's just fantastic. I'm also deaf as a post, which is highly convenient. Okay. Well, there you are. That's probably one of the best things I say on the album. I think the funniest line on the album is we're talking about uh, our vice president, Kamala Harris. And I say, you know, white people are always so grumpy about everything. I don't like the way the country's going. I'm going to attack the Capitol and wear a mankini and a helmet. And you're like, what? what's the matter? You're winning. You won. And complain about the food in prison. Right? Right. I don't like the food in prison. <laughs> I like the food better when I could go to the Burger King every day and hassle the girl there and make her cry. Um, and, yeah, so people go, well, Kamala, I don't hear a lot about her. I was like, yeah, I'm from San Francisco. She's probably there. Go to the rest of the country. And uh, yeah, the line is, I said, what, what are white guys are so pissed off about? What is, like, one black woman... Uh, when a black woman gets anything, it, it makes my penis shrink incrementally. Uh, every time a black woman smiles, I lose I lose more of my 
And uh, I, was like the, I suggest that that's what they should have on their red hats. Uh, instead of MAGA, it should say, every time a black woman gets something, my penis shrinks incrementally. <laughs> Uh, and then they wouldn't attack the capital so much. Well, uh, it's because we always, as we talk about, it took a Jew and a black man from Georgia to win a state that they thought was red, that they had absolutely prepared to cheat for. Now mm-hmm. we found out everyone's mm-hmm. going to go to jail for this. 19 people are going to go to jail. Um, uh, that uh, it made them attack the capital. Black woman sworn into the White House. Next day, <clears throat> black man and Jew in the Senate from Georgia. And then, I don't know why they attacked the Capitol. Really? Right. Yeah? You don't think that had anything to do with it? Uh, The most racist president of all time leading a coup, and you don't think the black vice president and the black senator and the Jew really rubbed them the wrong way at all? A a man that uh, was a White House aide to Biden and on the Biden-Harris transition team won his uh, Democratic primary tonight in Rhode Island, and it's a, a pretty certain the dinky state that he'll that he'll be uh, the replacement for uh, Congressman Cicilline. Um His name is Gabe Amo, and his parents are from Ghana and Liberia. So nice. I mean, this is what the Biden Harris administration is doing. Yes. Um, the by that you mean. He absolutely is on their team, yes. and he was really popular and won his primary. Yes, and defeated other people on the Democratic ticket who might be if, more. If he uh, uh, is elected uh, in the coming election, he will be the first person of color in Congress from Rhode Island. That is so. This not is how surprising. you know the Biden Harris administration. It, is making all this change happen. It is really happening, and it's fantastic. Well, I think that they're... Uh, it's, it's not... I don't think uh, they're as unpopular as everyone makes it out to be. They certainly And are. let's be honest. From a strictly pragmatic point of view, and this isn't me trying to sell you what I love, which is what we're going to incessantly do here, <laughs> is um, the alternative is just unthinkable, you guys. So get with the program. I don't mean to be, like, you know, super pragmatic here, but... No third party thing or any kind of magic bullshit's going to rise out of the ground and be better than the people who are literally trying to actively make the poor's life better at the moment, however incrementally it is. If it isn't happening fast enough for you, sweetie, you need to calm down a little bit. That it, it, honestly, you can't even consider voting for any Republicans in any post because you've seen how crazy they're acting and that they've lost the plot completely. Well, is there really a party there anymore? Is no. It just, uh, it's... They're all going to be in jail, so that'll be interesting. <laughs> Let me finish plugging this yes. thing here, and then we're going to go right back into the rich, fertile stew of Americana that is politics. From Mitch McConnell staring blankly into space, much like a Galapagos tortoise considering the Beagle's arrival, and, and all the way down to <laughs> Matt Gates' lantern jaw, and Marjorie Taylor Greene insisting that, what was it today? There was no gun laws during the Ice Age? I missed the what? whole plot. It was pretty astute, I'll give you that much. And her and Carrie Lake are fighting to be fake by president of a fake ticket of a fake president who isn't going to run for president because he'll be in so much legal. French drug deal is the name of the album. Why is it called French drug deal, Greg? Um, Jennifer took a picture of the album cover. Uh, Matt, I mean Matt, Ryan McMenamin put it together. That's before we went to see Dylan. Yeah, it's a picture of me smoking a bone around the corner on Sunset. We went to the, excuse me, Pantages, Wilton wherever it was, and um, 
there was a dope place around the corner, which was nice, a little dispensary. So, you know, you're going to see Dylan. He walking in the room with a notebook in your hand. See somebody naked in you. It actually feels there. okay. There's there, there's the early early. Uh, uh, and in the eyes, Mr. Man. And then the best part, your favorite part, is. Uh, um, uh, and when she died, it came to me. I can't help if I'm lucky. That's the blood on the tracks. <sighs> you were wow, yeah. And then there's wow. the uh, oh, no, 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 with the early Roman kings, oh, no, 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 and the Saxon Thoth. The lighting is so dim at this stage, and he's hiding behind the piano. I wonder what the next round of concerts will be like. He's performing from a Cuddy Sark bag, a Crown Royal bag, I mean, you know, those purple Crown Royal bags. He's in the Crown Royal bag, and you can't see him anymore. I'm for it, by the way. I told you when we did Santa Cruz, the next night after Dylan was there at the Santa Cruz Civic, I had a long talk with the sound guy, and he said you couldn't see him at all from his position. And... um, Mind you, the stage is dinky. It's a 1930s, like, crappy WPH. It's awesome. No wings at all. And uh, he was behind an enormous piano. Anyone can play a grand piano or a baby grand. It takes a real artist to put a honky-tonk-style piano up in front of you. I'm with him all the way. I wish that I was lit like um, Angelica Houston in the Addams Family movies with just a key light around my eye and the rest of my figure was in darkness, like... What did they say in Coppola and, and, Long, and uh, Apocalypse Now? That he simply piled bodies up around Brando or whatever so that he wouldn't. Um, it's called French Drug Deal because Jennifer and I were in Paris and uh, two years, year before last. And it was the night of the Morocco-French uh, um, uh, football match. And uh, everyone was all worried in Paris, as they will. We think we're the only uptight gun culture, but the Parisians flipped out and thought there was going to be a riot if Morocco won and 20,000 police invested last December last December so we went we did the potty on that night uh, over at the um, uh, Shakespeare Company where we'll be back this December and we had a lovely time with a bunch of lovely people lots of lovely Brits I laughed me chuff off and um, <laughs> and then uh, uh, we came home and no materialized riot France no. won, I think, 2-1 or whatever. Yes. We watched the end of the match with a bunch of French people. They were all screaming and pretending there to do football singing. singing. There was some bad yeah, singing. Yeah, there was some singing. And then uh, um, got out and a, and a red SUV pulled up on this tiny little street in Paris. Which, by the way, there was nobody out. There's no cars allowed in the middle of Paris. One and two. There was 20,000 cops. SUV playing La Marcier, top volume. <laughs> I swear to you. I swear to you. I could not get my phone out in time. It swung by us so fast. I wanted a video of it. He pulled up at the corner. A dude stepped off the corner or stepped up to the corner. The car stopped. The window went down. A bunch of dope smoke blew out. And the guy handed the other guy a bag of weed and the guy took it and walked away. And it was as fast as I'm telling you, it was faster than that. And then as it drove away, and we laughed our ass off. And so I insist that we call that a French drug deal. Uh, as opposed to Texas where you go and uh, guy goes, hey, Dilbert, throw me my meth. And then you had to turn it up. <laughs> Why would it be Alabama when you're in Texas? <clears throat> Who's live is back on the road so fucking soon. 
Um, September 14th, we st- we're going back to Indiana, like the J5. Wabash, Anderson, Lafayette, Terre Haute, Washington, Illinois, Missouri, Springfield, Columbia, Tulsa. Take me back to Tulsa. For I'm too young to marry. Take me back to Tulsa. For I'm too young to marry. Take me back. Fayetteville, Arkansas. Wichita. I am a lineman for the county. And I drive the main... Now I got louder. See, the volume ensures quality. Just searching in the... I'll go loud. Kansas City. Whoa. I worry, as I often do, about the mental health of the women because of the fact that the women of Kansas City are so diminutive. They are, in fact, crazy little women, and I am going to get me one. Then, uh, in October, um, Olympia, Salem, Bremerton... Um, uh, Bellingham, Airway Heights is up near the top there of Washington. And then in the rest of October, um, Connecticut, Newark, PA, uh, New Jersey, PA, Pittsburgh, Charleston, West Virginia, uh, Hagerstown, Mass, Charlottesville, Pennsylvania, Houston. Then we do Texas. Houston, for all the people who are like, how come y'all don't come to Texas? We played a gig outside of Dallas at that really cute university. Now we're coming to Texas in November. Houston, San Antonio, Austin, and Beaumont. Beaumont is where the big bopper was from. Don't ask me why I know that. Then in November, around uh, um, Veterans Day, Shreveport and then um, Metairie, which is next door to um, New Orleans. Orleans. So we'll really have a good time then. Come back after that. uh, Round it off at the end of November, Palm Desert, Anaheim, Santa Barbara, for two nights in Santa Barbara at the Lobrero, which is a really cute theater. And then, um, and the last time we played there, Alan Parsons from the <laughs> Alan Parsons Project. He came to our show. We hung out with him after. I think Jeff went over to his house at one point. Alan Parsons, if you watch the Let It Be documentary where they shoot it at Abbey Road and they're making the movie of Let It Be without George Martin producing it, uh, uh, it's them, I think, and who else is Who's the uh, the groovy producer guy that's there? Uh, Jeff Emmerich, whatnot. Alan Parsons is a teenager and walks by in the background a couple times. And they point <laughs> him out at one point, like, there he is. I think he was, like, you know, helping loop the tapes and, you know, maybe learning right. how to make a record from, oh, I don't know, the Beatles. Um, that was pretty exciting. The Alan Parsons um, of the Alan Parsons Project was actually there. Really nice bloke. Uh, then Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo. Then, to finish the year, uh, Florida, you guys. At the end of November, Fort Lauderdale, Clearwater, Orlando, Jax. Um, and then we come back next year in California, Santa Rosa, and then Texas. And then, you guys, Anchorage and Fairbanks in May next year. Anchorage and Fairbanks. You heard me. <laughs> north to Alaska, go north, the rush is on. Way up north. We're going to Alaska, so uh, there's way more dates than that. We have 43 dates this year, you guys. Whoslive.com is how you make it happen. The film club, we don't have another date for. I plugged the album already. And then lastly, but not leastly, um, this will come out before. The Negro Leagues Hall of Game is, uh, well, maybe it'll come out before this. It's a Saturday the 9th. And this year they're doing 
um, The Black Aces. Black Aces is a book written by Jim Mudcat Grant, who we got to meet several years ago and watched him sing a song. Uh, he was a, quite that a good singer. Fun? He had a group in the 60s called Mudcat and the Kittens. Yes, <laughs> his group was called Mudcat and the Kittens. He also was a 20-game winner with the Minnesota Twins, and he got the notion in his head that one of the ways you could illustrate what was going on in baseball was to talk about all the black pitchers that had won 20 games and then bring up all the pitchers that were in the Negro Leagues that would have won 20 games, Ali, your Satcha Page, your Smokey Joe Williams, your Bullet Rogan, and whatnot. And uh, he wrote this great book. Now, there's been two more pitchers added to it since he wrote it, and that would be um, David Price, who won 20 games a couple years ago, and C.C. Sabatia, who also won 20 games. But it's going to be Al Downing, who won 20 games with the Los Angeles Starters in 1971, which means he pitched against Willie Mays and Willie McGovey. Uh, he also gave up Al Downing, Jennifer, I don't know if you knew this, Henry Aaron's home run that broke Babe Ruth's record. Wow. Al Downing threw that pitch. So you're going to meet the guy cool. who gave up Aaron's, Aaron's tater. He's, yeah, it's really cool. Um, Dwight Gooden, Doc Gooden is going to be there. You heard me. Uh, 86 Mets, the whole enchilada. I was at the 84 All-Star Game, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, Mike Norris, um, early 80s A's, Billy Ball. Part of the Norris, McCaddy Keough. Sexy, sexy pitching staff with the white shoes. Mike Norris was a 20-game winner and a superb pitcher. And Dontrell Willis, who I think, uh, if there is a Tampa Bay Valhalla... Oh, did I say Tampa Bay? If there's a Miami Valhalla, what? oops. It's uh, Dontrell Willis uh, dwells there. Uh, he also is a 20-game winner, pitched in the postseason. It's always such an... Amazing group of people, and Vita Blue, who has is swirling off in the stars. It is an amazing group of people. We talked about Vita on another podcast, so I won't go into it. Um, I think it's going to be pretty wild. Uh, Joe Posnowski sent me his book. Um, uh, which one was it? It wasn't the fifty greatest. Oh, it was fifty greatest moments in baseball, and uh, it's pretty. It's pretty good fun. And so I'm hoping he's there. And uh, I'm sure there'll be lots of other ballplayers there. Mm -hmm. uh, there usually are. But yeah, it's really fun. And the stories are amazing. And since Vida can't be there, and it's a game, it's an award they hand out called the Hall of Game, which is to represent the values of the resilience, the uh, fortitude, the sense of humor, whoop, and the... It's always such a moving experience to be there and listen to all of the stories. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's honoring the Negro Leagues and every single one of the players that we've ever talked to or that we've ever met has a connection to the Negro Leagues. It's extraordinary. It's not... I was saying to, uh, on a podcast today with a buddy of mine, Jeff Cesario, uh, it, it's not um, even yesterday. You know, Willie Mays is alive. Willie Mays is in the Negro Leagues. Al Downing through Henry Aaron's home run. Henry Aaron was on the Indianapolis Clowns. Dusty Baker played with Henry Aaron. Dusty Baker managed the World Series team and won mm -hmm. it. So we're talking about now he did, not yeah. yesterday. So like, it's uh, the the vitality. And Vita Blue is a particular favorite of mine, probably next to Juan Marichal, my second or third favorite pitcher. Dave Stewart will be there from the A's. The A's Look, great. He's wonderful. He not only won 20 games, kids, he won 20 games four years in a row when um, David Cohn and Roger Clemens and uh, Bob Welsh and every other great pitcher was pitching. He's a, he was super badass on the field, and he's exactly the nicest person in the he's world. He's so low-key. Low what about his wife? Lonnie. She's amazing, They're too. amazing. Their whole family's lovely. That's the nice part of this. We've met them a couple times now, and so we know them a little. They couldn't be nicer. The whole group couldn't be nicer. Bob Kendrick... 
Uh, there's a lot to talk about, but we'll get to it in the next episode. I want you to be able to talk about some stuff. I will say two last things. Uh, in the last few years during the during the plague, we haven't had one since 2019. So it's been three bloody years since we've had a Hall of Game where they give us this award. So I personally am never forgiving any Republican the rest of my life. Is this strictly selfish? You could call it that. We missed three Hall of Game ceremonies where um, upwards of 15, 16 ballplayers could have had mm-hmm. a, a moment mm-hmm. and some time. Some of them have passed, mm-hmm. you know. And in those three years, Minnie Minosa, who's the first great Latin player, a lot of Latin players would call him uh, the Latin Jackie because he came up in the 50s. Um, he passed. Uh, and then they put Bud Fowler and Buck O'Neill in the Hall of Fame. This has all happened in the last few years. Made the Negro Leagues into a major league statistically so that it is recognized. Finally. Satchel Page's numbers, yeah. Josh Gibson's numbers are legal, regular major league numbers. They, they, they Yeah, it took forever. Took till in between 2019 and now. And Bob Kendrick's got loads of money from different people to make the... They're going to expand the Negro League Museum and make it gigantic. And... Uh, they won Best Nonprofit two years ago. That's great. I mean, they're just... Well-deserved, too. I mean, Bob Kendrick yeah. works so hard, and he's just absolutely the, the perfect person to put this all together. Yeah, I'm giving him all the credit. There's a lot of other people that work there and a lot of other people together, and a lo- people who got the stats done and all that. That was another group entirely, but it's all because Bob has thrown the focus on it, I think, and Buck O'Neill and all the great people who there. In any case, we're going on the 9th. It's going to be groovy. Yes, there'll be a live um, uh, proofcast from there that will be strictly interviewing Dave Stewart about Vida, uh, Dwight Gooden, uh, Dontrell Willis, and Al Downing. Al Downing, I have a lot of... He knew Satchel Paige. Uh, he knew... Wow. Yeah. He was on the early 60s Yankees with Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris. I mean, we got a lot of... A lot of groovy, groovy, groovy. There's not a lot of black star pitchers from the early 60s in the Yankees. They were not a big... They integrated slowly. And uh, so I'm really looking forward. And, of course, he was a Dodger when the Giants won the division. The one year we won the division, he was the best pitcher. All right, moving on. Please. Um, yeah, jump it in. The, the former guy, as Biden refers to him... Yeah. Biden is always so hilarious about uh, avoiding ever saying 45's name. Um, And I I support that fully. Um, Isn't it great? Yes. Uh, There is a site that you can go to, justsecurity.org, that has actually put together the list of the top 14 legal and political dates facing the former guy. There are so many. It's so exciting. I mean, the time has come for all those people that were harping, the DOJ should do something. Where's Merrick Garland? Why won't they put him in prison? I don't like him. (laughs) Well, guess what? It's a Leviathan uh, set of, of civil and criminal Cases yeah. and that they're they're all coming up now, and uh, very difficult because there's five or six in play right at the moment. Yeah, um, Fonnie Willis, the the Georgia Fulton County uh, DA, is just is not having it, and and uh, that was a very exciting day. The announcement of the indictments there. Um, Nineteen people. Yes, all named. and it's going to be on YouTube. 
the the yeah. trial is going to be, yeah, it's gonna uh, be great. You can watch it uh, all happen. Um, it's. I'm getting ribs. <laughs> they're starting to that trial's going to be to great. turn on each other yeah. because now uh, apparently they've just the the uh, co-defendants realized that their legal fees aren't being taken care of. No, Jenna Noss was doing a, a, a you beg me, and uh, we know that uh, Guliani uh, um, is he broke went, as a pig. Oh my god, pig he, he went to the second chance bail bondsman mm -hmm. near the courthouse in class. Georgia. Pure class. Right? And apparently uh, yesterday he was on TV asking for help with his legal fees. Yeah, this is not That's the study. Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten on that insurrection criming spree. Yeah. Hey, low rent. Um, the, what are you, the lords of flap? Why are you going to the most low end trashy? Oh, it's so good. It is. Uh, as uh, We used to always do a joke in the group uh, with Homer Simpson at one point he would go uh, and mind you no comeuppance and then he looks at the camera and goes I said no comeuppance and then of course we would always <laughs> when everything would go to shit we go some comeuppance this I mean, is comeuppance we're, we're talking about the classy group that, that puts uh, classified secrets in a bathroom next mm -hmm. to a plastic garbage can no so no they're like a, they're like worse than a they're like a, a queen's crime mob um, there are so many. That, and Eastman's crazy. Oh, go what, ahead. Please go to the What dates. I love about the, the Just Security site uh, list is that uh, underneath the, the highlights, mm -hmm. the legal highlights, is a color and format key. Criminal cases are in blue. Civil cases in green. Oh, and most important case of bold. What site is there it? There's so many. Justsecurity.org. So many. Um, I, I want to read a couple of dates. Not all of them, but like two, because some of them are super sexy. Mind you, like any concert you're going to go to, like say you were going to go see uh, 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 the, uh, the Temptations, the musical. These are all subject to change. Uh, the Georgia case starts October 23rd this year. The trial in Georgia. Oh, and that reminds me that Attorney General Tish James in New York, yeah. the New York Attorney General, she uh, today is asking for sanctions against 45, his sons, their lawyers, the 45's organization. What does Noel call him? Twizzler and... <laughs> I mean, because uh, they won't stop talking yeah. about the case. Yes. And so she wants uh, them to be fined each each time. How much was it? 10000 for for uh, each person. But the, the lawyers, too, and one of the people she wants uh, sanctions against is a lawyer that's representing Caius, who's re representing him in the documents case, right. too. Oh, my God. So, I mean, we're really getting down to it. Uh, how great is it that uh, uh, Fanny Fanny Willis, who's from Inglewood, right? Tish James, by the way, and um, the New York uh, uh, DA Bragg, uh, Alvin Bragg, are all black. Yep, and they're all and, and law Judge Chutkin in yeah. D.C. is Jamaican. They're all right. They're She's all a there Jamaican woman. So I mean, to enforce just, the law. Yeah, they are, and it it's it couldn't be more obvious. Nope. Could it that that. Uh, it's, uh, I'm glad it's, it's very writ, exciting. I'm glad it's writ so large, Jennifer. Like you and I used to talk about the January 6th committee and the one that Nancy put together when they had um, not just Liz Cheney and all that jazz, but uh, uh, that Benny 
Thompson from Mississippi was chairing it. And it, I th we both noted at the time that it wasn't a, an error um, and it wasn't um, random that she picked a, a black congressman from Mississippi, a democratic mm -hmm. black congressman. Mm -hmm. Mississippi is key mm -hmm. and uh, has everything to do with everything. And having all these black law enforcement officials, and by the way, Jack Smith second as a woman, the, the woman who's going to be trying mm -hmm. a lot of these mm -hmm. cases isn't him. It's, mm -hmm. it, I'm, I'm blanking on her name right, there's, now. There's a whole Because I must not have watched MSNBC a, for 30 seconds. There's a giant team <laughs> yeah. that work on this. I mean, there's there's so many people. Um, it was it was great to see this week that uh, the uh, corrupt powers that be in Alabama lost their bid to... Uh, redistrict Alabama so that the black vote would be minimized. The so judge was really great with that. Yeah, yeah, and also uh, this week, Fabian Nelson has become the first openly gay elected official in Mississippi. He That's is fantastic. A, a black gay man. I mean, this is Mississippi. This, yeah. is, this is awesome. We're in the mix. Um, Biden uh, and Harris rarely do things. Uh, without sending a, a, another message as well. And I thought it was uh, the day that uh, one of the 45 uh, insurrectionists, seditionists, was, uh, he, his uh, sentence was given today, 22 years, was the same, uh, within the same hours as Biden was giving a, a Vietnam War hero a medal because he had gone against orders mm -hmm. to do the right thing. Ah. Right? As opposed to the January 6th edition of Sentencing Today, Terrio, who wasn't there and tried to mastermind it from his hotel room in Baltimore or whatever, and is a known creep. Yes. And white supremacist. Yes. Um, and he got the full enchilada today. He right. got guilty on all counts. It, 22 years. years is not enough. It is the longest sentence so far. Um, the DOJ could always appeal and ask for more mm. f for these people. Uh, we've seen several of them uh, get handed down uh, the sedition uh, charge, which is hard to do. How many people are actually incarcerated? It's upwards of 300, right? Or yes. is it 1,000 tried? It's, it's, yeah, it, it's pretty wild. At sedition this point. is extraordinarily difficult, and we've seen four of them get nailed with uh, mm -hmm. a sedition. Um, Rhodes and um, Terrio are two of the giant ringleaders of this bloody white supremacist thing. And it, thing. it was important today because Terrio wasn't there. And so there was that... On the day. So we're all thinking about, well, neither was 45. No. So let's, you know... In other words, seditious conspiracy could be proved even if you're out of remove from the physical capital mm -hmm. on the day of January 6th. And um, by the way, what was that gentleman's name that was the uh, Cobra the, pilot the in the Vietnam War? The hero was Larry Taylor, and he uh, it says he flew hundreds of missions and saved countless lives. But it was a rescue flight that he was given the Medal of Honor today from President Biden. Uh, in it's... 1968, he uh, went to rescue four men. Uh, that had become surrounded and were in danger of being overrun by enemy troops, and he had to. He said he had to figure out a way to get them out, otherwise they wouldn't have made made it. And uh, 
the president said today that the most moving part of the ceremony was the all the families were there, the men that he saved. Wow. He, oh my God, this story. Yeah. In the middle of the night, they put out some flares. The place was surrounded by enemy. They shot um, mini guns and aerial rockets. He had intense ground fire for half an hour and got everybody out. And his chopper by himself in the dark. Well, uh, Right, it's it's a phenomenal it's a, story. Unbelievable. Um, Biden has done so much for veterans, hasn't he? And, and you know, with a focus on on uh, serving his son's memory, Bo Biden's memory. Um, there's there's the PACT Act that uh, provides veteran care, and that mm-hmm. veterans could sign up for this summer. Um, he's uh, undoing what forty five did and also uh, doing things that have never been done in in years or if ever for uh, veterans and their families mm-hmm. and their caregivers. I mean, it's huge what he's uh, doing for He's doing what they all health. talked about doing and never did because right. it cost too much money for them. They didn't want the federal government blowing their money on vets. Right. There's a new thing uh, called SAVE, which is... Uh, Four million have signed on uh, to uh, help with student debt. Um, you can go to invest.gov and find out what uh, infrastructure projects are happening in your town or city. Uh, he's he's bolstering unions, and uh, our vice president just landed in Jakarta. There was a really lovely dance, uh, a group of. Uh, dancers to greet her and soldiers Mm -hmm. and this is her fourth trip to uh, Asia and uh, it's really important that she's representing uh, America at the Southeast Asian uh, the conference they're having right the conference that they're having in Jakarta I mean it's it's really uh, Underreported in the media, how much she's done to engage young voters to uh, meet fight with, for women's rights, right? Reproductive rights activists to gun control, right? Gun control. What about the speech unions. she gave in Tennessee? Right. The gentleman in uh, in Tennessee, and what um, are you talking about, Justin Pearson and Justin Jones? I am. Yeah, she gave a fiery speech, and I think you know if if people. Uh, paid attention and tried to follow what what she's doing um you can always uh look it up look up the people that are uh traveling with her the the reporters that are with her on these trips um she uh is representing us with such intelligence and grace um she's such a diplomat and uh we're so lucky to have her. Absolutely, and not to be go into the whole uh, uh, Asia Pacific uh, political sphere, but the fact we, that her family is from her mother's family is from India. We're doing so well with Korea and Japan right now, who are, of course, our most important allies. Well, that was a historic meeting at yeah. Camp David with Biden and the leaders of Korea right, and but I'm saying uh, Japan. China's not exactly a team player, if you get my drift, and uh, it's nice to be able to have these kind of wins. The whole world is way more on our 
tip now because we don't have a psychopathic Nazi. It's weird how that happens. Isn't it? They've done so much, but also um, filling the court around the country with women, and particularly black women, and then specifically a black woman on the Supreme Court, is a magisterial um, achievement, in my opinion, for a president to do. Because it leaves a huge impact on the United States. And when you look at the judges that 45 got to nominate and that are sitting on the court, many of whom, of course, we know are corrupt or unqualified. He just didn't get a chance to promote the woman, that uh, his lawyer who used to represent parking structures. No. Oh, yeah, she, she <laughs> 45, yeah, Abbas, <laughs> whatever. With the less we say, I'm, I'm going to declare a 45 free. I don't care about anything other than his incarceration at this point. And you guys, I'm going to give you a little pep talk here. Um, he's in real trouble. He's not going to win. No. He's not going to be president, and he's not going to pardon himself, and he's not going to pardon all of his cronies, and they're not all going to get out of jail, and he's not going to let Enrique Terry out of jail. None of that's going to happen, you guys. He's not that popular. His support within his own party is eroding. And the numbers each day, even though more are like, oh, my God, more Republicans want him over Trump. That's the way they're reporting it. The other A bunch day, of people think he's not good for the party anymore. <laughs> well, you know? not only that, but, I mean, he's cornered and things are coming out, like, uh, in the case uh, in New York that the Attorney General James is overseeing. <clears throat> He was inflating his worth by $2 billion yeah. in one year. That's the so, kind of charlatan I mean, One wonders, uh, you know, he's selling T-shirts online uh, to pay his legal bills. Where There doesn't seem to be a lot of there there. He went back on Twitter, I think, to pay his legal bills. I'm going to bitch one second about the... No, I won't. All right, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> the media. Um a lot of the media is ordered what to do. So you can't really be mad at every single person in the media because a lot of them have to keep their jobs. And by keeping their jobs, that means they have to dance to a tune uh, that's full of lies and misinformation. In other words, they have to center how rich white people feel about everything in order that the news get on the air. And so um, things have happened over the last few years, like since, oh, I don't know, 2016, where they've never really answered for a lot of the mistakes they made. In other words, sinking Hillary, being hideously sexist, being wildly racist, um, showing um, 45's every single mood, breath, mood, um, incantation, interjection, every iota of his life is under intense scrutiny. He's a fascinating individual somehow, even though we know that he's an absolute drugged up, larcenous, um, sexually assaulting um, taper. And that's it's insulting because tapers are sweet and go. Uh, Mark Jacob from the Career Newsroom had a, a an article about the New York Times headlines mm -hmm. and choices. And, oh, they're trying to sink him. And so uh, when Joe Biden was in Florida to oversee the hurricane uh, relief, it was all about how Biden won't meet DeSantis in Florida. Mm -hmm. But, of course, that wasn't true. DeSantis had refused. DeSantis had refused to meet him. So, I mean, it's that framing of every that. single topic. Um, there, And he points out that time, New York Times is hesitant to describe Republican lies as lies. Oh, no, they never say they're lies. Um, the Republicans are defiant, I think you'll find, and or contentious and or... 
They never need to use the word contentious. It's my understanding that Biden is old. I'm going to read you something by Eric Baylor. Eric Baylor was a wonderful uh, media critic, and his job was to go through all the newspapers and watch all the TV shows and see how biased they were. And by biased, I mean um, when the threat of democracy ending in the United States was ever present for four goddamn years, and then we had a legitimate, not only a legitimate election, an election that we never counted the votes the way we counted the votes last time. It literally was the most legitimate election we've had probably in our lifetimes. And I'm counting Kennedy and Carter and Reagan and two W's and whatever. And that John Kerry election, whatever. Um, and then he attacked the White House. And yet, what? He's still so interesting. Uh, and he wrote this in 2021, about nine months after... Um, Biden took office. Annoyed by President Joe Biden's boring administration. And the, and the headline is, they miss Trump so much. Mm-hmm. Normalizing an insurrectionist. They seem eager for the chaos and clicks. Recall it was Trump's deliberate failure to protect the public from COVID-19 that led to hundreds of thousands of unnecessary deaths, according to a study, which was ignored by the news media. All that's been flushed down the memory hole. The deadly baggage simply isn't part of the Trump political coverage today. That was in 2021. When was the last time you heard about the hundreds of thousands of people that died oh, of it, COVID under his reign? It's like it disappeared. Yeah. But I mean, the deadly baggage, he says. The, the operative word is people get baggage with them. Uh, uh, you can't say certain people's names without everybody thinking the same thing about them. Anthony Weiner, or, you know, whatever. And it's like he just shook off killing openly deriding science, encouraging the entire Republican Party, Republican Party, because they thought, as you say, we say, that Democrats were going to die and poor people were going to die and black people were going to die and Latin people were going to die. And then that backfired on them and it's been basically Republicans who refused to get vaccinated the right. last year or two. But um, uh, uh, all of that's been, yeah. The, dare, the D.C. press can barely contain its excitement at the idea of the 2020 loser running again and possibly returning to the White House. They've signaled they'll make no changes in how they cover him. That glee stands in sharp contrast to the same press corps that told Hillary Clinton to go away after she lost in 2016. We know the news outlets miss Trump because everyone knows if he wins a second term, every minute of every White House press briefing would be carried live in full, just as they were for his first term. For Biden's White House, the live coverage was curtailed weeks into the Democrats' presidency. Mm-hmm. They want those book deals. They missed the book deal. Yeah. He's in ways I mean, to become at- the nominee, and the Beltway Press can't wait. That was from two years ago. Amazing. And I really feel like it's just literally the same now. Yes. MSNBC's trying to be, you know. They don't cover uh, Biden's speeches. Mm-mm. Um, they didn't cover his speech. You know, I, I came across something yesterday that I... I've forgotten that uh, uh, there's so many dastardly things that 45 did, but I'd forgotten that he took us out of UNESCO. Yeah. And Biden has just uh, appointed someone to UNESCO. I mean, he's had to rebuild. For all those people that are, you know, whining it's not happening fast enough, it's 
inconceivable, you know, the amount of damage that that four years did. Well, we recognize climate change as a government now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and if it wasn't for the Republican Congress, we would have lots more programs going on. And it's exciting that... By the way, they're impeaching they'll... him this week. The Republican yes. Congress is impeaching Biden. We're not well, sure why. Hunter well, Biden's weenie, I think, right? grew too he large might, and blocked their son. He was son. naked on that water slide. Yeah, their crops failed. Um, the... There, there, uh, there's just a, a total exciting number of uh, electric vehicle uh, factories that are that are uh, going to hire thousands and thousands of people in small towns across right. rural America. Yeah. I mean, it, it, inexpensive broadband. I mean, it's just it, yeah. it's changing people's lives. I think people notice. You know, I mean, I'm not that naive. I, I. You guys, I'm the first one to say white people are going to vote for white people. I mean, there's just that. But if you can split off the 2%, what is it? 10,000 people across three states or, excuse me, 30,000 people across whatever it is. Well, and you have to uh, correct uh, and inform people and inspire people to vote. You know, people have to get out there to vote. Um, If they're trying to suppress the vote, that's how important it is. Well, they're not getting away with it in Alabama. They've had a lot of bad news. And also, as you've noticed, the Supreme Court's under a lot more scrutiny. I would just, you guys, the only thing to do is pitch in now and be interested, I think. Um, Because we have a lot going on between now and the election. And you're going to see everything happen legally to your bad guys. But that's not going to solve the problem of fascism. It will not be solved by putting people in jail well, it's a constant battle that's the no. thing is like you can't just vote once and go well i did you know yay it's it you have to vote in every election i mean we're seeing that now they're going after school boards so you have to pay attention to that all right i will uh paul rubens um is swirling in the heavens he was a beautiful comedian i'm sure you guys all know who paul rubens was and of course um his first picture Wee's big adventure mm. um was uh, directed by Tim Burton and scored by Danny Elfman. And I think it was one of their first pictures as well. Mm-hmm. And they were really thankful to him for uh, that chance to do it. And it it stands up so hard. Yes. Not only does a lot of the stuff that Paul did, but his picture is really funny. <laughs> like genuinely funny. With a million but, quotable lines. Yeah, we had to watch it again recently. Yeah, we watched tribute it. Tribute to him. When we were on the road. Um I had got the chance to work with him a few times in so much as we were uh, both in The Nightmare Before Christmas at various, at the Hollywood Bowl a bunch of times. And he did it at the SoFi Stadium year before last. So that was probably the last time I saw him. We would text each other from time to time. Um, and I'll tell you that he was really lovely um, in real life. He was really funny. He wasn't like, you know shaking hands with everybody and engaging everybody. He certainly uh, hid in his hutch until it was his time to come out. But when I finally uh, got friendly with him, he made me laugh so hard. So we're all (laughs) on stage at the Hollywood Bowl and we're rehearsing the show. And we finished the first act, which is Pee Wee's song with uh, uh, Catherine O'Hara and Danny. They sing the Kidnap the Sandy Claus, right? So they're singing and they're shrieking and they're laughing and we do the rehearsal. It's a daytime before the show at night. And we all finish and we wrap and we're walking back into the um, inner part. And 
Danny's manager's there watching a giant rock video. And we all stop. There's been 10, 15 of us, the singers, uh, me and all the singers and, and Paul and Catherine were not. And uh, they're playing like Oingo Boing. It's a rock concert, clearly, from the 90s. And uh, Laura has managers there. And someone goes, well, what is this? Because we, we thought maybe she'd be watching our show that we were rehearsing <laughs> on stage, but she was watching a show from days past. Because Laura's been Danny's manager since time began. And she says, um, oh, it's uh, Oingo Boingo from 1994 or something. And Paul is in front of everybody and goes, I wasn't even born yet. <laughs> and everyone burst out laughing. It was very, very good. So His quips didn't take any time to formulate either. No. And I remember being with him in his dressing room and someone came up and asked him something and he turned because he didn't want to answer them and went, that's kind of personal. <laughs> <laughs> um, a lot of people, I don't think anyone has anything bad to say about Paul. And they had a giant memorial for him here in Los Angeles. If you have a chance to watch PB's Playhouse, it's really beautifully put together. It's Avant. The residents are on it. Like Joan Rivers. Like, I mean, he's just... He did a winter, He did a Christmas special on Jennifer's favorite line. Oh, look, it's Little Richard on ice. Um, <laughs> little Richard's in the show and his campus can be. Um, it's gay, it's black, it's young, it's old. It's, it's a fantasy-packed good time. He's also very good in a bunch of movies. What's the Sharon Stone one that you like? Mosaic. Mosaic. Yeah. Mosaic. yeah. Um, he was a wonderful, wonderful comedy spirit. And I'm very, very... Um, well, he, he really captures that liberating feel of being a kid. Yeah, it's just exhilarating. And I, like I said, I wouldn't say I was best buddies, but we, I got to know him a little and he was really beautiful. And on top of that, I worshipped him as a comedian. So I always loved what he did. And he was so generous, I think, with other people. He remembered everyone's birthday. He did messages for kids and stuff. Like, he was just that guy. Paul Rubens is irreplaceable. Andy Smart is one of Jennifer and I's uh, very good friends mm -hmm. who we've known for years and years. Um, when we first went to London, uh, I went to London in 1989, and um, I went to Edinburgh to see... My, our friend Will Durst, who was doing a, a show up at the Fringe. I'd never been before. Jennifer wasn't with me, strangely, on this trip. Mind you, this was so long ago, the earth was a swirling ball of, <laughs> of gas. And um, with just concentric rings evolving, and everyone spoke using a, a dazzling variety of trills and, and whistles. And um, I went up to Edinburgh, and uh, I met Andy there. Uh, he was in a group called the Vicious Boys then. He was quite skinny and he was wearing like a kind of a off the shoulder, you know, late 80s, 90s affair. <laughs> um, and we had a beer and I think we got high. We met at the Gilded Balloon, the old, old Gilded Balloon, the one that burned down. The one that was on the, what the bloody hell was that? Plague Street. Oh, yeah. And, um, Cowgate or something? Yeah, the Cowgate. And uh, um, that's when I met him. And then I went to see him in an, a really forgettable production of a play called twiglet anyone that was supposed to be like a kind of a drawing room oh my god there's a dinner party that's gone awry and that was early on and then of course we saw him in 12 angry men we saw him in the pinter play the the, the dumb waiter with, um, with steve steen 
with the other genius improviser. Andy was a member of the Comedy Store Players. We knew Andy so long that I, we knew him for years before he was in the Comedy Store Players, and he had been with the Comedy Store Players for, I'm guessing, somewhere around 30 years. Mm-hmm. So 25, 30 years. Um, he was a deputy when we first knew him, and then they put him in the group. Um, and of course, I went to Ireland with him for my 50th birthday. Uh, At the store, he was always laughing behind his hand, <clears throat> leaning against the wall. Yeah. Turning, is, turning bright red. I was going to say, he would turn red, he, his teeth would go into a smile, and he'd hunch his shoulders, and he'd hide his hand. <laughs> he always sang the first song in the musical. Um, I did a corporate gig with him once where another famous comedian um, tanked the show and then pretended to be sort of dead in the last improv. And we were doing a song, and Andy and I were standing over him, staring in each other's eyes, <laughs> thinking about the bus ride home. <laughs> I remember sharing that unforgettable comedy moment with him. And uh, he wrote a book called um, A Stitch, a Hitch in Time, which he, I have, thank God, an autographed copy of. I started to find all the things he gave us over the years, Jennifer. He was but quite that, an avid reader. But that's the thing. He, and writer. He was, he was uh, such a generous person, a thought, thoughtful person. And also was the person that one time when we were uh, living in London, uh, I, our, our landlord was pretty good and dreadful and there was some work being done on the flat and I asked him to come over and he came over and hung out with me yeah and we had tea and we just sat there and chatted and but yeah. he was the and and I uh, was talking with Jim Sweeney's daughter Izzy and she said oh when she was a kid he helped her with maths yeah. and he was always that person he would show up. To, he, he offered to drive us to visit Jim. He, he was that. Uh, he always gave of himself every totally. year at Christmas time. He uh, did the crisis. Which yes. Was, yes. Which is the suicide hotline in London. Yeah, yeah. He, that's what he did during the holidays. He didn't have Christmas night. Yeah. He went and answered phone calls from desolate people. Yeah, he he was always but he there had that for kind others. of heart. <clears throat> he would come over and give you a ride if you were at a party with him or an event, and it happened to me a thousand times in London. And sometimes we were high. I'll be honest. No. Uh, and uh, Andy would enjoy a drink and uh, and such, and and we would refresh. And then he gave me rides home to the furthest reaches of London. He drove me to the furthest gigs. Um, we would do gigs that were out in the fucking middle of nowhere with Frosty or whatever, and he would drive me. And he didn't go, oh, it's a hassle for me. No. That's the kind of... He took me to see Farnborough when they were Farnborough Town. And <laughs> over the years, I have a pin, a hat, a scarf, a glove, as they've name changed from Farnborough Town to Farnborough. And that was the club he always supported. When he passed, Farnborough had a tribute for him on this big screen. Mm-hmm. He was a frequent visitor to their booth. He knew all the players. The players wept. The owners wept. The fans wept. He was, uh, oh, there you got it teed yes. up there. Farnborough Football Club. He was really, and I'm just so proud. I was digging through my stuff and found another Farnborough pin that he gave <laughs> me, a badge, as they call them in England. Well, and, and, and talk about covering ground. I mean, this is someone that, that uh, raced a wheel of cheddar down the 
Yeah, he was in the cheese race. He he would he would uh, go to uh, Pamplona and race uh, run with the bulls. I think sixteen times. Yeah, he did it all the time. He raced with the bulls and he would run literally in front of adventure was his middle name. He was an adrenaline junkie at the same time as being sort of a sharing caring friend who was really low key, as well as being a he was certainly a party animal, Um, but he wasn't loud or screamy or or shouty. He was the low key. He also was reading all the time. He had a book in his pocket. One time at a, Everywhere at a party went. at Josie's, there were a lot of uh, actresses looking for action. And oh, I realized... I remember this one. I realized they, they, the guys had just come in from Dublin. They had yeah. been locked in a pub overnight, of, of course. course. They, That's then, so Andy and Smart. what would you do if you just fl- flew in from Dublin after being locked in a pub overnight? You would go to an all-night party. Yeah. And... Uh, at one point, I realized, where's Andy? And then I, he was hiding behind me to stay to keep away from the actresses. Yeah, he was In hiding behind you, using it as a physical block. <laughs> one time, Jennifer had an art show in Westburn Grove. Oh, my God. And uh, at this... Uh, uh, was it a salon? At a salon that was a friend of ours, and he awesomely put up all of Jennifer's artwork and we got written up and the whole in any case all of us everybody came that we were friends with in London and Andy was having kidney stones and was in the hospital as they in say the in the hospital in, in hospital right so a taxi pulls up in the middle of the party round about eight-ish nine-ish and a bloke gets out wearing jam jams yeah. um, shoes and a coat over his hospital o- gown. over the gown and comes into the party and I'm like Andy what are you doing here and he's like well I could miss Jennifer's opening <laughs> and he stayed and had a drink and I went um does your nurse know that you're gone and he went yeah, no I not so much so, yeah he he had liberated himself <clears throat> and he I swear to you came in a hospital gown to Jennifer's opening I think he he was one time uh, uh, napping on his couch at home and the plaster fell on him I yeah. mean there's it's 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 kind of amazing he he was uh, didn't he attempt luge yes. in Scandinavia he did he had to kill a, a sheep that was that's quite a story in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Spain Spain um, his books got a lot of them but he told I've there's too many he told a lot uh, they had his reception after the um, service at a pub at the service place was packed Steve Frost, our very good friend, who you'll know from British Islanders anyway, about six foot four, uh, bald head, um, hairy. Uh, and Steve, all right, all right gentlemen. Oh, oh, it's, oh, it's a laugh, isn't it? What? No one's making back your throat. It's a laugh. Um, they were best mates, him and um, Smarty. And Frosty is one of the funniest human beings alive and a dear friend. And uh, at the service, the place is packed with people. They're all there to cry over Andy. And Frosty goes, oh, fucking sits down with all the comedians. Goes, nice house. It's going to be a good count tonight. <laughs> Counting house. And uh, I went to Andy's book opening in Edinburgh in um, 2019. And it was me, Ian Rankin, and Phil Jupiter standing there, right? Just to drop some more names on my English chums. <laughs> Ian Rankin is one of the top mystery writers in the world. And Jupiter is a comedy star. In England, who we've known since he was a small, small child. And and that small child was Phil Jupitus. Um, and then 
he was on a show called Nevermind the Buzzcocks, was it? The music show, music quiz. And Frosty. Frosty walks in, the three of us are standing there. It's the afternoon. And picks up the book and goes, Oh, right, I've seen that, and walks out. <laughs> and then we all went and did a show. It was great. Um, uh, there's really no uh, well, telling no, how. There's no capturing the energy and, and everything that he meant to so many people. Martin Freeman says that he choked on a packet of crisp during Nevermind the Buzzcocks recording and Smart performed the Heimlich maneuver on them. Uh, oh my God. Saved Merton's life. Paul Merton is our friend, is a comedian in the comedy store, used to be the comedy store players, and been on Have I Got News for you for about 30 years. Football in Edinburgh. Um, Smarty, Tim Clark, remember Tim Clark? Mm-hmm. Nick Hancock. Merton slipped on the wet grass, broke his leg. They released him. And Smart and Dave Cohen, who helped start the Comic Store Players, got into his flat. After taking a turn for the worse, he went back to the hospital, and he was in the trolley, waiting to be seen. Smart immediately yelled for a nurse. According to Merton's autobiography, Only When I Laugh, Smart later told him, you were a dark, you were a gray-blue color. You looked oh nearly dead. God. I said, nurse, nurse, my friend is dying. They took one look and rushed to fetch a colleague. You were pushed away at a rapid speed. I thought it might be the last time I saw you. And then... Merton called him a toothsome troubadour with a touch of Ernest Hemingway mixed with Tommy Trinder. Um, he gave me so many books over the years, and I gave him books. The only thing that um, that I gave him that that was even in the ballpark of what he was always... Uh, uh, he was so thoughtful with his choice of literature. Um, I knew he was a, a fan of the Beats, so I got Lawrence Ferlinghetti to sign yeah. a book for him. And he was such a, a wonderful person to give a gift to because mm. he it really would mean something and he would tell you how he felt about it instead of just, oh, yeah. He and, could articulate that. Yeah. Well, when we were there at the Globe for his birthday, and he gave you a book then, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And uh, he gave me Carol Benfioli, which is hilariously rude and sexist, (laughs) 70s detective spy stuff. I just loved him. We all loved him. Smarty was the best. Everyone loved him. I remember drinking with him. I remember riding with him. I remember doing shows with him. I remember all those things. And all the players do, too. Frosty loved him. He's in a group with uh, Ian Coppinger and Steeny and Frosty. And uh, they did Edinburgh this year, and they had other people come in and stuff. But I mean, one of my big regrets is that we didn't get to go over, and I didn't get to go to Edinburgh and do the show with them. But Smarty is a, a, a there's no way to describe, I think, how much he meant to a lot of people in English comedy because he was such a beautiful soul. Mm-hmm. He was also intelligent enough to talk about a dazzling variety of things. Mm-hmm. If you wanted to talk about horses... Like, I mean, playing the horses. Like, who's in the fifth at Epsom? Oh, yeah. He could so hit What about American sports? He was a huge baseball fan, and he and I would talk about that. When did he sleep? Because he he would be watching and betting on games here. Colin Mockery. In the middle of the night. Andy Smart and I went to a porker party over at Branch's Flat in the old days in Edinburgh. And... It was, there was the one baseball, the Canadian guy used to show the baseball games late at night, and it mm-hmm. was the World Series, and 
Um, it was Braves, I think. I want to say Braves Yankees or something. It might have been around then. And we buried everyone at the party. And I mean, every, all the comics were there. Sweeney was there and, and, and Vraunch and Frosty and Don Steen and blah. And they all finally went to Better Split. And me and Andy and Colin stayed up drinking and watched um, the World Series, which started, <laughs> I think, at 3 or 4 in the morning. And then I came home, and the next day you said to me, do you know how cold you were? <laughs> <laughs> um, that was, yeah. So, and if you wanted to talk literature, uh, or the beats, which he seemed to be quite knowledgeable about, footy, mm -hmm. or any kind of international sport, um, he also did, you know, he could drink a pint, he could get naked, he could put a thing up his thing, he could, he did every kind of insane circus trick that you could possibly think of doing <laughs> at that festival up in the mountains that they did every bloody Altitude? year. Yeah. And um, he's kind of legendary. I don't... The thing about the men that distinguishes him from a million other beautiful comics, Sean uh, Locke and uh, uh, um, Sean Hughes and uh, all these... Uh, and Barry... Um, who, um, Bray Cryer? Cryer, although Cryer was old, that have all just passed in the last few years, these English comics. And they're all really lovely people. And that's the thing about Andy was like, he wasn't a show business dickhead. He was absolutely the opposite of that. If you can imagine someone who was a professional comedian, had been a stand up, did everything in comedy, writing, book, TV, blah, 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 and was in a long running group, several groups. And didn't act like it was happening at all. Like, that wasn't... Well, he didn't treat anybody any differently. No. It, it was all of the same. And he had absolutely zero time for any kind of snobbishness. Yeah, or bullshit. And he was always good to go on stage. He, was, he tried. He was funny. He did the thing that I... Uh, uh, I'm guilty of he he corpsed constantly. He laughed at everything everyone <laughs> said, and I always loved that. Um, anyway, Andy. Yeah, it was delightful to watch. Smarty's the greatest. It's uh, it's impossible for us to describe how. What a terrible uh, loss. He's just a cat that you know forever and ever, and we have a lot of English friends, and he was just one of the more beautiful souls, I think. Uh, like you said, absolutely generous to a bloody fall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you really can't say that about, I'm not generous to a fall. It, 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 he leaves no one's generous such to a, fall. A, a, a void that uh, people have to step up to, to even handle yeah. a, it's a much more, a better way percentage of, of, of what he did for people. Yes. They really, really do. Um, Andy, we love you. This one's for you. I hope you would have laughed. He used to come to my stand-up shows. He was a very supportive cat and the podcast. Uh, um, I wanted to mention uh, Beyonce because she's she's on her uh, record-breaking tour, and it was her 42nd birthday yesterday. And Diana Ross came out wow. and sang to her. Um, I love this song from her a last album, Renaissance. Uh, Big Frida's featured on it. Yeah, it's really super cool. You've been the smartest guy in the world. I've been the smartest man in the world.
Jennifer's been the smartest woman in the world. May every page you turn be a satchel page. May every bell that rings for you be a cool papa bell. And if you have to buy bonds, make sure they're Beyonce bonds.